0: Father, you are holy. You're wonderful. You're merciful and you're just. And we've come here because we want to worship you. And we want to see you lifted up so that all could be drawn to you. Would you change our hearts? Would you change my heart? Would you speak to us through the power of your word in the precious and holy name of Jesus we pray. Amen. He sat there alone gazing over the vast sea you know maybe his mind began to track back maybe over half a century before and that's hard for me to comprehend i haven't quite lived that long to even know what it's like to have memories from half a century before but but i imagine that he began to relive some of those thoughts and and to wonder how things had ended up like this and he must have felt so entirely alone you see he was on an island all by himself or at least isolated completely from all of his friends, from all of his family, separated by this vast sea. You know, before he got to that point, he had been called before a tribunal where he had been falsely accused, and the emperor took him and said, I am going to put you to death, even though I believe he recognized the fact that he wasn't guilty. But tradition tells us that they took him, and they had a boiling cauldron of oil. And they took him, and as they went to put him in there, he counted it a privilege, he said, uh, tradition tells us, to be able to suffer like Jesus had suffered. And they took him, and they threw him in that cauldron of oil, and nothing happened, just like the three Hebrews being thrown into the fiery furnace. And so pretty soon, the guys who had thrown him in there, they went back, and they pulled him back out, and the emperor didn't know what to do with him. The emperor Domitian, who was a very autocratic leader, He didn't know what to do with him. So he took John, that beloved disciple, and he took him and he isolated him on the Isle of Patmos. And so there he is sitting alone in the vast sea around him, feeling so alone. Have you felt lonely in the past couple of months? Have you felt alone at all? I mean, maybe you haven't but this this whole isolation thing this thing of physical distancing this this thing of being separate of of not having church for a few months and and now of having church but in a different format and and of our lives being different even when you walk into the grocery store i talked about it last week when you try to talk with a grocer it's kind of like i don't know if they're smiling i don't know if they're friendly i don't even know if i should talk to them i don't even know what they look like i don't there's so much separation right now and it can feel so lonely but not only that, the world around us is spiraling out of control. We see injustice. We see craziness going on. And we see things that, that have to frustrate us and anger us. And, and you, look at, you, you look at John. The church in this time was being persecuted. You, you had terrible persecution. And this wasn't the first time. I mean, you think about John. Here he was, this beloved disciple of Jesus, who At one point in time, you remember what he asked of Jesus? He took his mom and he came up to Jesus and he asked him, could my brother and I, and his mom maybe uh, helped to prompt this, could my brother and I sit one on either side of you in in your kingdom when you come? And here, uh, once Jesus dies, James was the first, John's brother was the first to be put to death of the disciples. Herod put him to death. And now you go forward 50 years and here he is alone. James isn't there anymore. He, he doesn't have family. He's isolated. He's away from his friends and, and wondering, where is God in all this? Or, or at least that might be what we would assume he'd be wondering. And maybe you're wondering that with all that's going on in the world. How long is this going to go on? How long is this pandemic going to last? Is, is, is the world just going to keep spiraling out of control? We'll look in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9, because I believe Revelation is crucial for us to grasp, especially in times of trial, because this is the message that was given to a church that was in the midst of the worst of trials. Revelation chapter 1, it starts off saying this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is very ambiguous. It can both mean it was the revelation about Jesus to reveal Jesus, And it was the revelation that Jesus clearly came and brought, as he's the one who's coming to John repeatedly to communicate. But look in verse 9. It says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm your brother and I'm your companion. You are being persecuted by this emperor? Me too. I'm here on this island. I'm your companion in this. But not only in tribulation, in kingdom and patience of Jesus. Jesus Christ. And then look at what he says. Was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. So so maybe those thoughts actually weren't going through John's head very much because John says, I was there in the isle of Patmos and I was in the Spirit. And the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. He's in the midst of this chaos and, and he's separated And yet he's not alone. He's far from being alone because he's there in the Spirit on the Lord's day, which Jesus said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. So I believe he was there on the Sabbath day enjoying the presence of the Holy Spirit when Jesus begins to give him some of the most beautiful messages that have been revealed to the church. And they're crucial for us to grasp in these times that we're living in today. And I just want to skip forward with you. It's fascinating how Revelation works. It it, it reduplicates and it repeats history and it enlarges history. You might say it that way. It repeats and enlarges multiple times. The first time it comes and it introduces Jesus to John and it has this beautiful vision of him that's similar to Daniel chapter 10. And then Jesus tells him about the seven churches. But first he tells him, I'm the one that's in the midst of the seven churches. I'm there walking among the candlesticks. And then he tells him about the seven churches that give us this swath of Christian history, going from John's time, just like he was told in Revelation 1, the things which were, the things which are, and the things which will be, tells from the time of John all the way up until the very end of time with the the Laodicean church. But I want to fast forward through that and to get to the next introduction before the next section that goes through a repetition and enlargement of history. And that's in Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4 was just described in this song, the Revelation song. In Revelation chapter 4, it says, there was a door open in heaven. Can you just imagine, you're John, you're there on the Isle of Patmos, and suddenly, whoa, there's a door open in heaven. And that door opens, and you look up through it, and then you're brought up into this heavenly throne room. And there, as he looks at this throne, this throne is beautiful. He, the best he can do is use the most precious stones in order to describe what this, this throne looks like. And then around this throne, it first talks about these four living creatures that are exactly paralleled. With the four living creatures that are in Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1 talks about a throne room scene and it parallels this very closely. There's, there's four living creatures there and we won't go into them in deep detail, but I believe that, that there's significance there in that they are constantly crying out, holy, holy, holy. They have eyes. It says around and within. They're, they're very symbolic creatures to represent that God is not alone in the decisions that He's making on this planet. God, God doesn't operate solitarily in that, that God wants to be, have a community around Him that validates what He does. And that almost sounds blasphemous to say because this is the omnipotent, all-powerful God of the universe, and yet you always see Him surrounded by these beings that are going on missions of mercy to our planet and who are... Affirming who they recognize that he is and that they want him to be enthroned. In fact, Revelation chapter 4 says a throne was set in heaven. Giving this picture that, that this throne was set up there and that, that the universe is wanting for God to reign. And the, the reason we're giving in Revelation chapter 4 is it says you are worthy of worship because you created all things. And then we see these, these well, the throne is pictured and around the throne is a rainbow. So I know we don't see rainbows around here very often. But what are the two things that are required in order to have a rainbow? We have plenty of light, right? We have plenty of sunshine here in California. We're not likely to see one today unless we go up to the farm and the sprinklers because we also need water. Similarly, God's government is not just based on justice. And I'm thankful that it is based on justice, because if it weren't based on justice, we couldn't trust him. We couldn't know how things operate. We couldn't know that he's reliable, that he's unchanging. But just like you need two elements, there's also God's mercy. And when those two blend, they make a perfect rainbow around the throne of God that reveals the beauty of God's loving character. And then you have these 24 elders who are there, and we won't go into detail, but elders in the Bible is only ever used to refer to human beings. So you have these 24 human beings around the throne. They have cr- crowns on their head. They have white robes. Just like in each of the churches at the end, it'll say, hey, to those who overcome, you're going you're gonna to receive uh, a, a special name. You're going to receive the, the hidden manna. You, to those who overcome, they can sit with me on my throne. And so here you have 24 elders surrounding the throne. And those those 24 elders are, are participating in this worship. So fast forward from all of this and we get to, to Revelation chapter 5. Well, there's one other element here before we open to it, but you can head to Revelation chapter 5 and verse 1. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 1. Notice also that Revelation 4 tells us that there were seven lamps, like in the, the temple when you have the candelabra, seven lamps in front of the throne which represent the Spirit of God, which are before the throne. Where are they? I shouldn't say they, really. It represents the fullness, of God's Holy Spirit. Where is the Holy Spirit located in this this vision? Okay, so there, the seven lamps are before the throne of God. So where are they? Okay, I know it's harder to speak when we don't want to spread things around, but they're before the throne of God. Just making sure you're tracking with me. You can How about raise a hand? Did you you tracking with me? Okay, so the, the Holy Spirit is before the throne of God. That's where it's noted as being here. In the end of ch- chapter 4, again, they're worshiping, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Now we jump into chapter 5. Verse 1 says, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne written inside and on the back, a a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Okay, so in the Bible, there's only two documents that were written in front and on back. And it's important when we get to Revelation that we don't just immediately run and try to figure out what's happening in the world around us because John is writing and he quotes repeatedly. It's birthed out of the the Old Testament scriptures. So in the Old Testament, two different times you find a document that's written on the front and on the back. Can anybody think of one of those? One of those is more familiar to us. It's the Ten Commandments, that covenant that God gave on Mount Sinai. When that was given, it was written, written on front and on back of those tablets. So that's one. But another one I want you to look at is in Ezekiel, where you have this throne room scene. You have some of the similar things. You have this beautiful throne with a rainbow around it described in Ezekiel chapter 1. And you have this crystal platform there. You have these same four creatures. They're described a little differently. But again, it's describing that same heavenly throne room. But turn to Ezekiel and we're going to look at something fascinating here about this book. Ezekiel chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 9 and 10. After describing this heavenly throne room, it says this, verse 9. Now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. Then he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside, and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. Alright, so this this scroll, what's, what's in it? It's written on front and on back, and it's lamentations, mourning, and woe. Now, why is that there in the heavenly throne room? Why is God handing this out from his throne? Why, why is this book written like that? Well, think about it. If you have the two things there, you have one, God's covenant, his law represented in this, this scroll. And if you have also humanity's interaction with that law, suddenly you have a history that is full of mourning, lament, and lamentation because of the fact that we violated His principles of love. And because of that, the world is spiraling out of control. Because of that, there has been suffering on this planet that is unimaginable. You know, today we're beginning to grasp it a little more fully, what the present world is like. But if you were to go back 2,000 years ago, and, and you, you lived in Bible times, you might understand the suffering of, of the Christians around you. You might hear messages about what's going on in the world today. But today you and I are living in a world where in a second we'll hear about a bombing that took place in Timbuktu. We'll, we'll hear about the earthquake, about the, 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 the hurricane, and we are constantly inundated with this reality of the suffering that is going on on this planet every moment of every day. Is it a little overwhelming for you? A little overwhelming to recognize how crazy the world is today? If it is for you, there's good news when you get to the book of Revelation. Because this scroll, written inside and on the back and sealed with, with seven seals, represents something powerful. And I love how it's, it's summarized in, in a commentary. Uh, Manuscript releases, page 20, page or volume 20, page 197, says, There in his open hand lay the book the role of the history of God's providences, the prophetic history of nations in the church. Herein was contained the divine utterances, His authority, His commandments, His laws, the whole symbolic council of the eternal, and the history of all ruling powers in the nations. In symbolic language was contained in that role the influence of every nation, tongue, people from the beginning of earth's history to its close you see why it would be full of mourning, lamentation, and woe. Because if you have the history of this planet, you read about any nation and it, every single nation in this, on this planet that has been established has been established through persecution of people. Through so much heartache and pain. And, and not only that, but it says it's of individuals. It's, it's the individual record. And we, and we see this in the Bible where there's a record taken in heaven of our everything thought or every action and and these things are are written there in heaven and so you have this scroll there that 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 displays God's promises to us but that also has the reality of the history of this planet from beginning to end And, and that's terrible in that think about it like this what are what is what did the apostle Paul say about how many have sinned all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, so this, and then it goes on to Romans also says, the wages of sin is death. You see, this scroll is sealed, and that seal means this scroll cannot be opened. This, this history can't be changed. This, this is the reality that, of lamentation, mourning, and woe is all that planet Earth is going to get. Verse 2 says, then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? So here you have a strong angel. Maybe this is Gabriel. A super strong angel comes up and he's like, well, who could open this scroll and who could loose its seals? If a strong angel can't do it, who else could possibly do it? You look at what it goes on to say in verse 3. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So, so they begin to search around. And John's looking everywhere. He looks under the earth. I assume that means the grave. He looks on the earth. He looks in heaven. And I mean, think about who's in heaven. Maybe one of the elders might have been Enoch. I don't know for sure. Because Enoch was translated to heaven, right? So, and why was he translated? Because he was found to be righteous. But, but Enoch wasn't worthy to open this scroll. Moses, when, when Moses, Jude says that Michael, the archangel, wrestled over the body of Moses. So Moses was resurrected and taken to heaven. He appeared to Jesus. But Moses can't come and open this scroll, even though he had received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. What about Elijah? He goes to heaven in a fiery chariot. Or, or what about those in the grave? Maybe, maybe if they resurrected Daniel or Joseph. or Maybe somebody is worthy to open this history and, and, and to be able to change what's going to take place on this planet. But nobody is found to be worthy. The search is made, and nobody is worthy. Verse 4, So I wept much. What broke John's heart to see the lamentation and mourning and woe of a planet lost in sin. And more than anything else, that's what should break my heart and your heart as I look at the news, as I look at what's happening in this world, is people going to Christless graves. People dying without a recognition of a God who loves them. But I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me... Well, one of the elders, one of, one of the humans... Notice at this point, it's not a strong angel coming to him. It's, it's one of the elders there in heaven who comes to him, who has a good message for him. And I don't know who all these elders are. We're told in, in Matthew that, that when Jesus died on the cross, there was an earthquake and bodies came out of the grave. And then when he was resurrected, that those bodies actually were resurrected as well and that they appeared with him and people saw them and, and witnessed that Jesus had been raised. So maybe they were the ones. Paul talks about the first fruits that Jesus raised with him. Maybe that's what it is. But an elder appears to him. And and so think about it. This elder is a human being. Does this elder deserve to be in heaven? I'm seeing blank looks. Yes, no, maybe so. Does he deserve to be in heaven? How many think he deserves to be in heaven? How many think he doesn't deserve to be in heaven? He has... No right of himself to be in heaven. He all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the elder said, do not weep, John. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has prevailed. The word there is the same as conquer in Revelation 2 and 3. He, he's conquered. He has overcome. It, it, sorry, the same word is overcome. He has overcome. He has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose it's seven seals. Ah, oh, it's such good news. He finds out that, hey, there's, there's this lion figure. And so he says there must be this leader who is so strong and powerful. He's the king that we've been longing for. You think about a lion, what do you think about? Strength, fierceness, ability to defend itself, ability to, to conquer any other creature around it, the, the king of beasts. And this happens repeatedly in Revelation where he hears one thing, and then he looks and he understands more about it the same lion verse 6 and i looked and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb hold up a lamb i mean think about it A, a lion yes a lamb have you seen a lamb lately it needs a shepherd. It needs its mom. It needs, it, it needs to be led to water. It needs to be fed. It, it can't take care of itself. I mean, this is a weak creature. So he looks in the midst of the throne and, and there's a lamb, but it gets worse than that apparently from the world standards, right? He sees this lamb there in the midst of the throne as though it had been slain. He sees a lamb that's been sacrificed there in the midst of the throne, and this represents the lion. This represents the most powerful force in the universe, and that is self-denying love, a love that will lay down its life. And the whole universe is looking at us. They're saying, "Is anybody worthy?" Oh, wait. There's one. Because this one he loves to the very end, and that love has conquered death, and that love is enough for him to open the scroll. But not only that, I was reading in uh, Mark chapter 14 this week, and it talks about when Jesus came to the Garden of Gethsemane. And as Jesus walked into the Garden, He said, My soul is grieved to the point of death. You see, Jesus drank in mourning and lamentation and woe. He took your loneliness. He took your grief. He took your sorrow. He took all of the guilt that you experience in your life and everything person on this planet he took that into himself willingly you see the only being in all the universe god the father couldn't come and take this scroll because god the father didn't know what it was like to suffer as a human being but jesus had become as god also fully human fully human and fully god this mystery of the incarnation and he was able to suffer to an extent that is beyond our comprehension and because of that He's worthy to open the scroll. And then it says having seven horns. Horns in Bible prophecy represent power. So he has, and seven is a, a, a number of completion throughout the scriptures. So he, he represents having this complete power, but not of himself. And seven eyes, representing that he, can, he sees everything that's going on, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, where was the spirit of God? In Revelation chapter 4. Before the throne. Notice where the Spirit of God is now. Which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. You see, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, we have right and we have access to the Spirit of God to come and live in us. This is an incredible reality. It changes absolutely everything and it's based on the worthiness of Jesus alone. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So, an artist by the name of Steve Green. How many of you ever heard of Steve Green before? Sings a lot of Christian songs. There's some great kids' scripture songs that I grew up with that now my daughters are, are getting to listen to that he sings. Well, Steve Green was writing on this idea of worthiness. You think about it in your life. You think, man, if I could if I could get to this level in my job, if I had this skill set, if I had this kind of knowledge, if I were this kind of dad, if I were this kind of mom, if if I drove this kind of car, if and the list goes on and on. And even in our Christian experience, you know, if I finally loved fully, if I if I did this and if I met this list and if I did this, then finally I'd measure up and I'd be worthy. Steve Green, writing about his life, said this, A lot of my life has been spent wanting to make an impressive record for myself, record album, that being, for myself, wanting to be just the best Christian artist there ever was and prove to God and to the world I'm really good. And I'm not. And the trouble is that impressiveness works in the church. It just does. Well, a bunch of years later now, 30 years later, My only story is that I just don't have a good record. And that's why I have to have the record of another. And that's Jesus. And I discovered there's only one hero to any story and all of our stories. If there is any shred of faithfulness in my life, it is only the faithful one, not me. So the hero of our story is Jesus Christ. I can't be painted in any better light than I am or in any better picture than I am because I just ain't. You see, there's only one hero and, and we want to allow God to transform our lives. We want to impact the world around us. But throughout eternity, we will worship one hero, one who is worthy, and his name is Jesus Christ. I love how it's described in, uh, in Review and Herald, August 26, 1890. It says, Jesus, precious Savior, assurance. Helpfulness, security, and peace are all in Him. He is the dispeller of all our doubts. Do you have doubts this morning? The earnest of all our hopes. How precious is the thought that we may indeed become partakers of the divine nature, whereby we may overcome as Christ overcame. Jesus is the fullness of our expectation. He is the melody of our songs, the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. He is living water to the thirsty soul. He is our refuge in the storm. He is our righteousness, quoting from 1 Corinthians 1:30. Our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. When Christ is our personal Savior, we shall show forth the praises of him who hath called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Worthy is the Lamb. Now, I can't fault you this morning. I've listened to plenty of sermons and sat there with the same expression on my face and thought the same things like, "Yeah, that's great. This is cool. Good good deal." Friends, this is the greatest message the the most incredible reality in the entire universe. Look at how the universe responds when they see this. I mean, Look at what takes place in Revelation chapter 5. You've got to see this. You've got to take note. And you've got to ask God, help me to capture who Jesus is to me so that I can't contain it any longer. That I have to tell the world about what a worthy God I have. Verse 8 says, Now when He had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. They're composing a new song on the spot. They're so inspired saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. You are worthy? Just, just think about that for a second. It almost sounds blasphemous, and yet the God of the universe wants to be our God only if we come to the place where we recognize that he's worthy. And that alone is worthy, makes him worthy to me that, to worship him. The fact that he's not an autocratic ruler who's trying to force his rulership on me, but the fact that he wants for me to consent for him to be my God, that is one of the most beautiful things alone. So they compose this new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, and out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. That's hundreds of millions of creatures saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Look. This is our God. He laid down His life for human beings. He's incredible. I want to worship Him forever is what the universe says. And sin will never rise, raise its ugly head again because all of the universe at one point in time, everybody who accepts Jesus Christ will recognize that He is worthy. But it keeps getting bigger. It says, "In every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, "Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever." Then the four living creatures said, "Amen." And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him with light who lives forever and ever. That's worship. That's what God is longing for you and I to experience. And can we say that we've got a little distance to come to recognize that Jesus is everything to us? Because I don't always find myself just jumping up and down when I hear the story of the cross again. I don't always find myself moved to tears when I recognize that that this omnipotent, all-powerful, all-present God has laid down His life for me. But I'm thankful. That God doesn't want me just to know about this experience. But Paul actually says that that this is a living reality for anybody who believes in Jesus. Did you know that? That you today, through the power of the Holy Spirit, because the Spirit has been sent out into all the earth, you have actually been raised up into this exact experience. I mean, just picture hundreds of millions of angels and creatures around us worshiping before the throne. And in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul gets so excited about what God has done that he says this. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Anybody felt like your sins have totally wrecked your life? In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. And he goes on through that, that we once lived this life. But then look at verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. What's the reason? Because of his love. Not because of your love, but because of your acceptance of His love. Because of His great love with which He loved us, even though we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And get this, and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where are we sitting in Christ Jesus? You're right there in the throne with hundreds of millions of angels around you. There is a human being on the throne of the almighty God of the universe because he is God. His name is Jesus. Worthy is the Lamb. And then it says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Throughout eternity, he wants for all of the unnumbered worlds that Hebrews 11.1 tells us about to recognize that God is kind, he's good, he's gracious. Because of you. Because He saved you. That's His purpose for your life. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's not your worthiness, it's His worthiness. It's Jesus' worthiness. It is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. You're never going to be worthy of heaven. Desire of Ages puts it this way, both our title and our fitness for heaven is found in the righteousness of of Christ that's the only way to heaven and then it continues and says this in verse 10 for we are his workmanship his creation created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them God has designed for you to bring glory to him throughout eternity by living the life of Jesus in the world around you impacting the world and bringing that heavenly reality to this planet. There's a throne set up in heaven but it hasn't yet been established on this planet and what God wants is for you to love the world around you to such an extent that you're like being crucified with Christ. That you're laying down your life for the people around you. That you're self-sacrificingly loving. That you're putting the needs of others above yourself. You're putting their financial needs above yourself. You're putting their, their physical needs above yourself. Their emotional needs above yourself. And friends, this is an entire miracle that only takes place because the spirit of god has gone out into all the earth a little tiny glimmer of what this looks like in a person's life took place in the beginning of this pandemic <clears throat> back in march you re- i think it was march maybe it was the beginning of april you remember when things started to get crazy in new york city and there's these images coming back. And suddenly, a whole lot more people are getting concerned about this pandemic. A whole lot of people are like, man, this is really serious. What's going on? And more people are staying home. More people are, are trying to stay safe. And people are like, ah, they're, they're digging mass graves. What's going to happen? Well, a friend of ours, pastors in Texas, Paula, we worked with him at, at Andrews University. And his wife is a nurse. A lot of pastors' wives are nurses. And she was watching this. She was watching what was taking in New York City. And, and she posted something on her Facebook. And I just want to read it to you this morning. Hello, guys. A few weeks ago, a desire in my heart started growing as if God was, wor- was calling for me to go to New York City to help. After much prayer this past Friday, I decided to come. They deployed 650 nurses. And I was one of them. I'm not a risk taker. I like routine, comfort, and safety. And I have none of that here in New York City. I arrived yesterday. The city is very empty and lonely. It was very, very hard leaving Paulo and Michela. I think her daughter is maybe three years old. Left her husband, her three-year-old daughter, behind to go to New York City, not knowing what, is, what to expect. Very grateful for my husband's support. But when God calls, you just have to get up and say yes use me. And here I am in New York City to help with this COVID war. It's 10 times worse than what you see on TV. I'm no hero. I'm scared, anxious, excited, nervous, but I know God is by my side. So I am at peace. Don't forget to pray for me, to have medical wisdom, to have extra strength, to stay in good health, and most importantly, to represent Jesus well. Friends, this is just a a small little example of what God has called you and me to be, self-sacrificingly loving the world around us, no matter the circumstances, no matter the dangers, not because we're some hero, but because Jesus is worthy and he is our hero and his spirit is living in our hearts and it transforms us to transform the world around us. I saw a news clip three weeks later where she came back from that trip to New York City and there... They had all of this this big car parade for her. They had all these signs and banners out there cheering her on. Her neighbors have up signs. Our hero is back. She quarantined, she tested, and she wasn't neg- she was she tested negative for COVID-19. Beautiful story and and the excitement at the end of that is just a little glimmer of what takes place in heaven, but think about Jesus. Jesus who sat on that throne before who had the adoration of hundreds of millions of angels, he looked down and he saw you and me and he said, I'm not willing for them to be lost. I can't stay here and be happy in heaven. I'm going down there. And there's a terrible disease on this planet called sin. That disease was wreaking havoc on this planet and it still does today. The the results of breaking God's law, it's just like the law of gravity. If you break it, you fall. You fall. The world is ripped apart because of it. But Jesus allowed himself to become sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. He allowed himself to be ripped apart so that we could have life. And he proved that love can break the seal that death had placed on this planet. You want to say with me worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb. Do you want to worship him like you've never worshiped him before? I'd like to close just by playing a song. Uh, Chris Tomlin sings it, He is Worthy. And as this song plays, I just want you to think about who Jesus is. And the more that I think about it, the more this brings me to tears to recognize that on this broken, hurting planet, there is a hero who has already conquered the grave. There's no better news in all the universe than that. And that's what the entire book of Revelation, it's core to understand that First, Jesus is everything. And that, that lonely disciple on the Isle of Patmos who was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, that journey can begin for you today if it hasn't before in the same way that His journey began. Or if your journey has begun but you're saying, hey, I want to rejoice in this reality like the angels and I just don't feel it yet. Or I don't really recognize it fully yet. Do like John did. The first day... He heard John the Baptist preaching, saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He looked, plain looking guy, didn't look like anything special. But the next day, John the Baptist wouldn't stop. He just kept saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John and Andrew said, All right, we're going to follow him. And they walked after him, and he said, What are you seeking? All they could think of is where where, where are you staying? Where where are you going to stay? And he said, come and see. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold, behold, behold. Take out your Bible and plead with him. God, show me the God of love you are and don't give up until you see it in all the Bible. Because that's the reality. Jesus said the entire scriptures hangs on love for God. Let's bow our heads and just ask that he would make this a living reality in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, thank you for the amazing God of love that you are. And Lord, I want to worship along with the entire universe to say you are worthy, holy, 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 and to do it with every fiber of my being. Would you please help this reality sink into my heart more deeply that there is only one hero to our story and his name is Jesus. There is only one human worthy, and he is also God, and his name is Jesus. We pray this because of Jesus, and in the name of Jesus. Amen.